Okay. Uh, I was asked to give my story, and I'm not a teacher like Lavila or Randy, but I'm a storyteller. And uh, uh, okay, I was redeemed by the blood of the Lamb when I was about eight years old. And that's the greatest story any of us can have. And uh, I was raised to believe the Bible was the Word of God, but I didn't know the Bible. I didn't. I knew the stories in the Bible, and uh, but I didn't know the Word. And I I didn't know John, First John four four was year of God, little children, and greater. Is he that's in you than he that's in the world? And uh, about 1968, I began to have a real void in my life. And I'd had two precious children, and I, I still, I didn't know what this void was, but I, I knew that something was missing. And I was going to a Sunday school class at the, First Baptist Church, a women's Sunday school class. And one Sunday morning, they asked a lady to open the prayer. And uh, and as she began to pray, I mean, my head flew up. And I thought, there's somebody in this room. She knows who she's talking to. And uh, I knew I wanted to know who she was talking to the way she knew that person. And that was Kathleen Cherry. And I didn't know anything about her, except she was the dentist's wife, and uh, she had red hair. And uh, she knew the Lord. I knew she knew the Lord. And so uh, a few weeks later, she asked me and a couple of other girls in that Sunday school class if we would like to come to a Bible study at her house. And uh, so we did. I asked Frank if I could go, and being the good wife I was, I and he said he didn't care. And uh, so I went, and after it was over, well, they said, if anybody wants to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, set your chair out here in the center of the floor. Well, my friend got up, and she set her chair out there, and I didn't say a thing. I just kind of drugged my chair out there and sat down. And as soon as those ladies laid their hands on me, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I began to speak in tongues. And uh, I thought this was wonderful. I was happy. Yet when I got home, I was scared. I didn't know what Frank was going to say. <laughs> His granddaddy was a Baptist preacher, and his mother was Baptist from her head to her toenails. And I was, I didn't tell him for three weeks. And one Sunday I came in from church, and he didn't go to church with me. And I brought him a paper, and he was sitting on the couch, and I handed him the paper, and I went in the kitchen to fix lunch. And I heard, I was, we were having tuna fish sandwiches, and I was fixing to cut up an onion. And I raised that knife, and I heard somebody say, go tell him. And 
I whispered and I said, God, he hasn't eaten. And, <laughs> and I started to pick up my knife again and I heard a voice say, you tell him with me or without me. And I went in and I said, I'm a Frank. And I said, Frank, I want to tell you something. And he kind of looked at me. Okay, and I said, well, that Bible study I went to, I got the Holy Spirit and I speak in tongues. And he kind of lowered the paper and he looked at me and he said, is that in the Bible? (laughs) And I said, yeah, the book of Acts. I don't care. And he went back to reading. (laughs) And I went, just shout in myself and back and made those tuna fish sandwiches. Well, not long after that, we had started going to full gospel businessmen with John and Kathleen and this other couple. And Frank received the baptism of the Holy Spirit one night. And after that, we began to, to learn how to trust the Lord. And in 1971... One night when we were kneeling down with our three little kids saying our nightly prayers, well, Frank prayed for a house. We lived in a very little farmhouse that when the wind blew, the curtains stood out. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we were about two miles on a dirt road, not a cleachy road, but a dirt road that was very impossible to crawl, travel through. And Frank prayed for a new house. And he gave specifics that about this house and he wanted it on the pavement and a larger kitchen and uh, and different things and this was in February of 1971 well about two weeks before February 1972 he came in one day and he told me he had heard about a farm and so he called the man and he said well my nephew wants it but I've offered it to him, but he's told me he couldn't give me an answer until June after wheat harvest. And so we thought, okay, that's good. That's good. And so we call Kathleen and John, and they call Vernon and Grace Odom, and they all came over, and we prayed over it. And when we got through praying, right before we got through, Kathleen said, and Lord, we want Hoyt to call Frank in seven days. And I just. There's a farm where they are now. It was on the pavement and uh, the house and, and everything was pretty much the same as what I prayed that night. And, uh, uh, it, 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 it looked like an answer prayer. So, uh, <coughs> but he, he was going to sell it to his nephew. Anyhow, he, we went home and we continued to have our prayer. We didn't, the seventh night, we didn't hear from Hoyt, and the eighth night. But I don't remember us ever getting discouraged. Our kids went to bed thanking the Lord for their new house. And I went to bed thanking him. And on the tenth night, Hoyt called Frank, and he said, Frank, it's got out that I'm selling my farm to you. And he said, 
I've had some other farmers come and offer me more money. And he said, I've already given my word to you. He said, if you'll meet me at the lawyer's office in the morning, we'll make this final tomorrow. His nephew had called him and said uh, he didn't think it was for him. And he had already given his nephew the prize. And, and he said, I'll sell it to y'all at the same price. I was going to sell it to my nephew. And it, it was an answer for it. And it was... Well, I wanted to tell y'all, before this 10 days was up, I had listened to a tape of Derek Prince, and he was talking on Joshua 14.9, where Joshua tread upon the land. And so I picked Meredith up at school one day, and I started over across the canyon where this new house was, and... uh. Uh, I pulled out there and as I came up as some of y'all been to our house as you come up out of the canyon you can see the field our field and everything and there was a man out there plowing and I mean immediately the devil said to me you're not going to be silly enough to pull over there and walk on that land and I thought oh yes I am (laughs) and I told Meredith and Christy and Paige I said y'all pray in the spirit and in your understanding. And I got out and I made sure I was not on county land, but I walked out in that field far enough and I walked back and forth and I read the scripture. Where your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance to your children's children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord. And I got back in and I believed that. And then that was that was in between, before that ten days where we got that call from Lahoy, and uh, God just began to teach Frank and I that he was faithful. You know, we could trust him. He could. He not everything went fine. We had some years that we lost crops, and but he was always faithful. And then in 1984 is when I had the airplane crash. And uh, I'll just tell you a little bit. As the plane went down, uh, Hal couldn't land. And he said, I'm going around again. Well, there wasn't at Redosa any going around again. And so as he pulled up, I remember looking up at him and I thought, poor Hal, it looked like somebody had poured a pitcher of water over him. He just had sweat pouring off of him. And he realized and he said, guys, we're going down. And Ron raised both of his hands. And he said, we're with you, buddy. And I took Linda's hand, and I raised this hand, and I said, God, take care of Frank and my girls. And I began to pray in the Spirit. And as we were going down, I could see a yellow house, a little yellow house here. And I I mean, 
It had to be seconds, but I remember thinking, God, don't let anybody be hurt in that house. And I could see the needles from the tree we hit coming through the windshield. And then all of a sudden it was over. And uh, I looked up and I could see Ron just gazing out this way. And Hal had been thrown out of the airplane and Ron had been thrown over in front of me. I was behind the pilot. And I just thought, he's being real still so it won't hurt so bad like me. And I kept saying, God, it hurts so bad. And about that time, I heard men shouting at me, or shouting. And I began to shout back, and I told them, I said, we're alive. Help us, help us. And finally, I could see a man through the windshield, but they were a good ways off. It's a man in a red shirt. And all I remember is he put his knees, hands on his Levi's and he's kneeling down and he said, we can't come over there. There's petrol pouring all over that plane. And I thought, I think petrol means gas. And I had not been afraid. I didn't feel any fear in that plane as it was going down. But when he said that, it was like a black blanket had been thrown over that airplane. And I laid my head down and I said, God, take us quickly. Don't let us burn. And, and then I heard the foam and them riveting the plane and taking it apart. And I, Oh, I just wanted to tell you that after I quit talking to them, I the I looked in the the motor, the dash the instrument panel was gone and the motor was sitting right on top of Ron, and I saw Jesus about that big. I didn't see his face, but he called me by my name. <laughs> And he said, Judy, I've already begun to heal you. And I said, okay, Lord. And I didn't know what that meant. And it took me several years to realize that there's miracles and they're healing. And he was healing me. And so after six weeks, I got to leave the hospital. And... We had a a pretty up and down time of, of depression and such as that. And then Christmas morning, I woke up and I knew I was very, very sick. And uh, I got up, I told Frank, I got up and got to the bathroom. And as I sat down, I grabbed for the wastebasket. I knew I was going to throw up. And I looked up at Frank. And I said, I'm so very sick. And I just hit the floor. And he said for a few minutes, he was, or a few seconds, he was afraid to touch me because of my back. And he said that he 
noticed I wasn't breathing. And he kept hollering, breathe, Judy, take a breath, take a breath. And I would breathe when he would tell me to. But I also had this voice telling me, you don't need to breathe. Feel how peaceful it is. You don't need to breathe. And then Frank would say, breathe, Judy. And he said he stretched me out on my back and he laid down on top of me and he began to pray in the spirit. And uh, he said after a few minutes I began to shake and he asked me if I was cold and he picked me up and took me back to bed and hugged me up and we went back to sleep. Frank, let's don't go into all that. Huh? I don't want to go into all that. The, the, the rods in her back uh, uh, uh -oh. was part of the, the, the second problem. She, she was talking about being uh, they had done surgery on her stomach. No. The seat belt had torn the... We did, we, Frank, we, wait, honey. We didn't do the second surgery till the next year. You're getting no, confused. But it was your back. That yes. Was yeah. And that's that's what you were worried about. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Okay. 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 And I want to tell you that uh, Frank is right about that. Uh, I'm uh, the next year. 
1985, I went into the hospital to have the the hernias. I had hernias all over me from where the seat belt had uh, severed all three layers of my stomach muscles. And we did not know that until they got in there. And uh, anyhow, I had not been happy, been glad. I had not been uh, thankful that I had survived the crash. I couldn't understand why God had not taken me when I thought my kids were gone. I had an eighth grader and a senior, but Ron had a two-year-old and a six-year-old. And so I had not been thankful all that year. And so this year, this the second year when I went into the hospital for this uh, repair surgery, well, the, that went well. And the, about the second day after that surgery, well, I started having trouble and pain, just unbearable pain. And the third and fourth day, it was just they kept me on morphine. And on Wednesday, well, Frank came over. He had come over to go home, got ready, and he'd come back, and he was going to go hear uh, Randall Ross was the new pastor. And when he got there, my mother told him that I had been, hadn't been been unconscious nearly all day long. And so he decided he'd better stay. And uh, as... I saw, woke up, just opened my eyes, and I saw him standing at the foot of my bed and my girls, and there was a phlebotomist on this side trying to take blood, and there was a nurse on this side trying to take my blood pressure. And I remember seeing her reach up and hit the emergency button. And I had seen a couple of people die in our department, and I know you lose your bodily fluids. And I knew when that happened, I was dying. And my thought was, I've got to go tell God I want to stay. And as I said that, I began to pray in the Spirit. And as I did, all of the people in the room, it was kind of like bonanza how it you know, burns out. Well, this began to burn all the people out of the room. And it just left this glorious golden light. And it was so bright. And I wasn't afraid. And I was moving. And there was somebody with me right here on my right shoulder. And I said, is this heaven? He said, this is the glory of God. And we went along. And all of a sudden, my arms got hot. like I thought they were on fire. I thought my hair was on fire. And I said, is this hell? <laughs> and, but I wasn't afraid. And he said, this is the glory of God. And we kept going. And I was set up on my feet. And I saw a hand come down, and it got this golden light, and it brought it over to me. And it said, this is the glory of God.
And when he said that, this picture started coming back into focus and the golden light was diminishing. And by that time, the hospital room was full of nurses and doctors. And I saw Frank standing there and my oldest daughter was biting on her finger. And I was still praying in the spirit. And they left and I don't, the next day, the chart—not the charge nurse of the floor, but the the director of nurses—had been called up there too. And she came back in my room, and she told me, she said, "I did not call code last night because I knew they would come in and put you on a ventilator." And she said, "I used to hear my grandmother pray." like you were praying and I just think that was the hand of God you know um, I didn't I mean I, I wasn't well after that I went through about five more days six more days of terrible pain before they took me back to surgery and I had gangrene had set up and they they took out three feet of my intestines, and and uh, I was in the hospital another four weeks that year. And uh, but God was good. God, I mean, God was good to us. Uh, Frank was trying to farm and raise girls and take care of me, and they had left my incision from here to here open with four big stitches like this big and he had to clean out in between those every day and uh, he did very well he took care of me and then in 1996 we lost Caleb our first grandson and we were devastated we couldn't understand why it had, could happen, but we knew that God, God knew. We didn't, but God did. And two years later, my daughter that had lost Caleb's mother found out she was pregnant. And Caleb had had a condition called CAH, that's congenital adrenal hypertrophia. And that is, your body does not make any cortisol. And a cortisol is a hormone your body has to have to combat sicknesses or injuries or anything, or you can die very easily. And uh, so the doctor had told Christy, whenever she got pregnant, as soon as you find out you're pregnant, I'm to be the second person you tell other than your husband, said, you have to start on steroids immediately. Well, she, she came home, it's Easter, and we, she told us, and we prayed for her, and we asked God for a healthy child, and the whole family was there, my sisters and their kids, and we believed God, and she 
went back and she started on her steroids and and uh, about a few weeks later Dr. Denny called her and told her he had called in a, a pediatric geneticist and he wanted to do an amniocentesis on her. He wanted to get a sample of this baby's DNA and uh, she asked me, she, she, you know, she called me. She said, Mom, should we do that? And I said, Christy, we know that baby's okay. I said, do it as a witness to the Lord, you know. So she did. She went through it. And a couple of weeks later, she called me at work. And she was just hysterical. And she, the geneticist had just called her. And he told her that the DNA of the baby you're carrying is C-A-H, and it is a salt loser. Salt losers die. And so I just, I had a patient at the table, and I had one of the other techs take over my patient, and I... I told him, I said, i got to get out of here. I told Christy, I said, Chris, I'll call you back. I've got to get, I've got to go pray. And I took off running down the basement hall of that Methodist hospital. And I didn't stop. I hit the back door and I kept running for two blocks. And I stopped and I said, God... I've got to have a word from you. And I stood there. And in a minute I heard call things that are not as though they are. And I said, I don't know what that means. And I heard this baby is C-A-H free. I said, okay, okay. And I went back, and I called Christy, and I told her, I said, a hundred times a day if you have to, you put your hand on your stomach and you confess this baby is C-A-H free. And I called my family, and I told them all, and they said they'd agree with us. And when Caleb... Uh, Bryden was born. He was a big, nearly 10-pound baby. Did not look like a CAH baby. Uh, but they whisked him away before Christy hardly even got a glance at him and started him on steroids. And we stayed in the hospital for six days and they tested him every day. And... I, one day, Dr. Denny came by, and he said, if it was not for that DNA report, I would have told you yesterday to take this baby home. And I would, had the DNA report in my hand when he walked in, and I said, I've just been reading it. I said, it's wrong. And he said, well, I ordered one more test last night, and I'm fixing to go check on it. And so he left. 
and in a little while he came running. He skidded into Christie's door, and he said, What is that kid's name? And I thought, Oh my gosh, they've been testing the wrong baby. You know. And Christy just looked at him and she said, Bryden Dersh Cruzy. And he said, Well, that baby is C A H free. <laughs> and if we stand on the word, the word is true whether the DNA I mean, God will change the DNA before he'll change his word. And he told Christy that right then. He said, I've written a release. He said, get ready and take that baby home. And we left in just a little while. And... uh, Then in, in 2008, our second grandson was killed in a car wreck. And uh, we didn't understand it. Uh, but we knew. I mean, not to say. I mean, I, I think I screamed for hours after I got the call. I mean, it was like I could see Satan laughing that he had taken another grandson. But as we got on the plane the next morning to go to Houston, it seemed like I I got a peace that I've always been here, Judy. I'm faithful. You can trust me in this too. And uh, he's always been our strength. We found that, once again, we had to be the strength for our family. Not that Frank and I didn't hold each other at night. And never say, why God? We just trust. He's just faithful. And I've had people say, I don't know how you can still trust in a God like that. And I said, because over 50 plus years ago, in my living room, I picked up this word and I decided I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to believe every word of it. And I have. And I know that whatever we face, whatever comes our way, this word's not going to pass away. And he's going to take care of us. And he's going to sustain us for whatever we need, whatever we need, 
He is our substance. And I look around and I know there's lots of stories. I know that everybody has a story. God showed me that many right after the airplane crash, you know. Uh, I never could get to feeling very sorry for myself because it seemed like he always brought somebody in front of me that was worse off than I was. And I would think, God, how can I complain? How can I complain? And so that's our story for tonight. And I don't know what it'll be tomorrow. But we're going to trust in God. And we're not going to doubt the Word. Because I was crying one time when I was going through this depression deal that first six months after the crash. And maybe, Lisa, if I'd had some good counseling, it would have been a lot easier. But we didn't have any back then. And I had a lot of guilt. And, uh, but I was crying and I was telling the Lord, bad I hurt and and I didn't want to be this way anymore and I said I'm on rock bottom and he said and who is the rock and I knew Jesus was the rock that I stood on and that's that's where we're still standing and I know y'all are too you all are Just a story. Yes, we've all. He is. He is. And it's. I was on staff at Trinity Church when all of that happened, and I had gone home, and I immediately got a phone call when I got home to get back up to the church because I had to answer phones and how often I was with my boss and I I mean so many things